This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello. Shai Resnick. Hello there. I'm, uh, I won't say what I'm wearing, but um, it's very hot in here. Yeah. <laughs> John Papa. Hot in here. Good morning, Vietnam. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out about JS Dev Summit, JavaScript Dev Summit. It's coming up in May. So uh, keep an eye out for speaker announcements and things like that. We also have a special guest, and that's let me see if I can do this without slaughtering his name. Uh, Duhan Ulika. Hi, uh, here's Duhan Ulika. So it's pretty close. <laughs> awesome. Well, we uh, do. You, do you want to give us just a brief introduction? Who you are? Who you work for? Absolutely. Uh, I work for a, a consulting company in Washington D.C. Uh, called Exala. And I'm, a, I'm the JavaScript specialty lead and a software development expert for the company. Uh, so this means I engage with a lot of uh, different kinds of clients from the federal, nonprofit, and commercial space. Awesome. I do things. You have a meetup, no? Uh, correct, yes. Uh, I am the founder of the Tech Talk DC meetup. Uh, we host a monthly event for polyglot developers. Uh, and we tend to cover uh, the whole gamut of uh, the popular languages out there from the front end to the back end. Uh, oh, and also last year, uh, I organized a DC Full Stack Web Summit. Uh, it was a small conference uh, with about 100 people in attendance. So nice. what do you think? Do you think uh, JavaScript is going to become popular? Um, I, I think in a, few, in a few more years. I mean, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't yet gotten into every computing platform in the world. Uh, some, but, some mainframes uh, still can't run JavaScript. Right, right. <laughs> Do you know that I used to be a polyglot and I, I'm cured now? That's Are you a uniglot, uh, Shai? <laughs> yeah, now I'm a uniglot. It's a semiglot. <laughs> semiglot. <laughs> so that, that, that's actually a pretty good uh, point there. Uh, you know, you know, being a polyglot is is great to to borrow ideas from other languages, but in practice, uh, you know, actually being active in multiple languages, you know, that's that's a lie, in my opinion. That's a lie. Yeah. Oh, I like that opinion, and I want to hear more about it. So let's say, all right, let, let me let me give you an argument, right? Like, like say I'm doing .NET development on the back end, I'm JavaScript on the front end, and I say I'm a polyglot developer. Is that not is that not it or like well javascript your... doesn't count really like if if, 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 if you're doing if you're oh, doing oh, just uh if nah. you're doing just you know for front-end development it doesn't count in my opinion because you have to know it to be able to do your your or get your stuff done uh so okay uh so what is a polyglot then? what's a true polyglot tough, tough question uh, for a guy who runs a meetup uh, uh for polyglots, uh, I, I think it's being uh, it's knowing different kinds of programming techniques and languages out there, uh, being being aware of these uh, uh, technologies and being able to understand the, the common common thread that runs uh, amongst them uh, and and being able to differentiate uh, between them. Uh, if that if that makes any sense. Oh, so it's not a disease. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the topic that we have on the docket is to do more with less and router first architecture. And and I'm kind of curious. So, do more with less. Does that mean I get to delete code? 
Yeah, so th- those are actually my most productive uh, days uh, at work. Is if my code contribution to the code base is in uh, negative lines of code, I-, I consider that a success. Do you want to explain why? Because it sounds counterintuitive, and I know that some of the listeners, especially newer folks, they're like, "Wait a minute, aren't I being paid to write code, not delete code?" Well, so I, I think uh, the the sense that we're being paid to write code, I think that's the, that's the wrong. Uh, mindset. We are there to solve a problem using code. Uh, so being able to, you know, correctly understand what's being asked of us and translating that into code, uh, you know, uh, can happen either efficiently or extremely inefficiently. And and one of the troubles that I see out there is, you know, people are so eager to code. Uh, they jump in uh, at the you know first sound of you know someone saying you know I want I want this, and, and they don't stop to ask questions about uh, wait okay so how is this actually going to work? Uh, uh, so they they end up coding a lot, and then the code is go- going to naturally evolve over time anyway. Uh, so they end up chasing their own tails in a sense, uh, just trying to catch up uh, to some ever ch- changing vision. Uh, by just throwing more code at the problem. Uh, from a JavaScript perspective, uh, in the past, you know, uh, let, let's just call it this decade, really, uh, there's been a gluttony of, uh, you know, JavaScript frameworks uh, that people just thought, oh, this is a cool framework. Let me just, you know, pull it in. Uh, so before you know it, you're dealing with, you know, 20 different plugins or frameworks that you're working with, and you know, lo and behold, each and every single one of these things have their own, you know, little bugs and quirks. Uh, so that's where the uh, the philosophy of do more with less uh, comes from. Is uh, you know, if you always try to achieve that hundred percent functionality, if you try to appease you know every single stakeholder uh, that's out there, you're going to find yourself in that spot where you have a ton of code, uh, you know. You know, twenty plates uh, spinning uh, at once, uh, so to speak. Uh, so, by reducing your toolkit, uh, by going back to the basics, the fundamentals, and actually learning what a framework can truly do for you, you can reduce a lot of dependencies. Uh, so, of course, this this won't take you to hundred percent, you know, appeasement. You'll be able to uh, get 80 percent of the st- stuff done with with you know. Uh, you know, twenty percent. You know, just applying that eighty twenty rule in general, um, and, and then from there, it, it really comes down to, you know, okay, where are we at? You know, do we have something releasable? Uh, do we have a big enough team to be able to handle a, a lot of edge cases? Uh, so, Wait, but so, but being uh, conscious of that fact. So, so let me just try to summarize or to understand what you're saying. So, you're saying that there's like a gazillion libraries out there and people just like a npm install and forget about it and just like use a bunch and sometimes in large projects even duplicated you know uh, functionality from different uh, sources um and and that creates a problem because then like you have bugs and you have more maintainability issues and stuff like that so what you're saying is try to minimize try to figure out if you already have something, maybe it's a native thing, maybe it's uh, something you're already using, like, I don't know, Lodash or something like that, that can solve the problem instead of um, try to import yet another uh, library or try to, I don't know, reinvent the wheel, so to say. Uh, so Absolutely. That's what you're saying? Absolutely, okay. yeah. Uh, so so how, one, how, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, go ahead. How, how does it relate to router fair first, like, I don't know, um, development or? So, uh, I mean, they, they are uh, separate ideas, uh, okay. but uh, it does, uh, that general philosophy uh, does relate uh, because this, uh, so I'm uh, writing this book, uh, hands-on Angular for full stack developers uh, got uh, got the first draft uh, completed, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, thank you. Uh, while I was working on that, I, I came up with this uh, approach uh, of you know I wanted to formalize it really and and you know call it and give it a name. 
where you come up with a, the walking skeleton of your application first, you know, your design first, you know, defining your user roles, uh, that then dictates, uh, you know, what you're going to need down the road to be able to uh, build your app. So it's, it's teasing out, you know, requirements as early as possible uh, so that uh, you have a roadmap uh, before you start actually refining things, before you actually start writing code. Okay, so I'm kind of lost there because I'm, I don't understand how it relates to the gazillion libraries problem and how does it relate to the problem? Because usually, um, from my experience, I usually look at the user interface and extract from, from there, right, from the usability uh, point of view. And then like only test-driven develop the features that I really need uh, to follow the Yagni rule, right? You ain't going to need it. Um, and not just write like everything in just in case I will need it someday. So, right. So, and that's a very good um, uh, point. Uh, so the idea there is, is to, uh, you know, do a rough design first of everything. Ask all the hard questions uh, in the beginning of your project. Uh, which will allow you to identify user com- various user components and shared code ahead of time. Uh, so when you're picking a, a user component library, such as Angular Material or you know, ng Prime, or you know you're going to roll your own, or you're going to pull in you know 50 different things, uh, you know then you're going to be able to have a high level conversation of, look, you know we're going to need a, a data table, we're going to need a you know a, a form a stepper, uh, or you know we're going to need gauges, you know, basically a, a laundry list of uh, various user controls that you may need in your application. Uh, and you may, you will also be able to identify various components that, that uh, you do need to spend some more time engineering uh, so that it is indeed reusable. So, you know, for example, it could be a user profile com- component where you view a user's, you know, uh, details. So that's useful if I'm viewing my own profile data. That's useful in a master uh, detail view. If I, as an admin, if I click on a user, then I see their detail uh, information. And if I can reuse the same component, great. And if I can identify this ahead of time, then I'm going to save some time of architecting my application uh, so that I don't have to evolve it uh, so aggressively over time. So what I'm hearing is, is that essentially what you're saying is instead of because it sounded initially, at least for me, um, that you were advocating the off-demonized um, waterfall method of doing development. And what it sounds like is instead what you're saying is, is like, look, you know, kind of kind of get a picture of the shape of the application without necessarily defining every little detail of the application. And then start thinking about what are the commonalities across the entire app so that I can make those decisions ahead of time. And that way, when I move forward, I don't have to figure out, okay, I'm in the thick of building this component in here. How do I do it? It's, oh, well, I'm using this across the app and I already know that I'm, you know, I can put this component in multiple places. And so I'm just going to put it in here and then customize it as needed. Exactly. And, uh, and I'm a proponent of Agile. I'm a, a certified Scrum professional. Uh, so in a sense, I've been through the looking glass in terms of Agile development. I've seen the kind of the, the ugly side of it and the, and the good parts of it. Uh, and I, I keep going back to uh, a, a particular example that was given uh, during my training as, uh, you know, before, uh, uh, you know, before you start painting your Mona Lisa, uh, you know, you want to first draft it with, with pencil, right? And, and then you kind of, uh, you know, iterate over it, you know, block by plot, block, you know, painting, uh, you know, the different layers of it or different components of it. Uh, but you can't start, you know, with just uh, painting and finishing off at a, you know, a corner of Mona Lisa and then have an idea of how this is going to look like. So you gotta you gotta do that drafting work first. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you talk about that, you're talking about actually writing a prototype code or just like designing it without any code. Um. So, so and that is the wonderful uh, thing about 
that I have discovered about Angular 5 uh, is you can actually, you know, write the code. You can write the router code. You can generate the, the components. Uh, and you can wire everything up together uh, and have a walking skeleton and navigation experience of, of your app uh, that, that, is, that will go to production uh, someday. Uh, it's just you haven't filled in any of the details yet. Okay. So, and this is what you call router first? Correct. Yeah. So literally the first thing you implement is the, uh, is the, all the router configuration stuff ahead of time. Uh, so you use that to drive your then architectural decisions uh, from that point on. Okay, cool. So and if, if like one route at a time, I do a route and then I implement it, or we like? Oh no, I'm talking about just create all the components that you you imagine uh, can be there uh, as much as you can ahead of time. Uh, so create That's all the routes. I've never done that. I've never. Uh, uh, I admit that I get to the router sooner than I expected, but my first try, <clears throat> of course, I only write demos, uh, is, uh, <laughs> is I try to live without the router. Yeah, I don't actually get very far um, with a real application. So I, 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 do, I do see it providing a certain kind of a backbone, uh, but I don't think I have ever tried to populate it with stub components which is an interesting idea. Um, so maybe you can tell us, I mean, I don't know if the other folks here are, are, are like I am, but you know, even if I do what you're saying there and I start, and I start and I put a router in really early just so I can lay down the app routing module, and get the, the behaviors going and start thinking about the scheme. But I'm probably more likely to just bring up my first page and just work on that for a while and see how that feels. But you're saying, no, you would stub out your vision of the whole app? So uh, if you are working with uh, more than, I'm going to go ahead and say more than two developers uh, on a team, uh, there's a lot of benefit to uh, uh, triggering that planning phase, uh, that visioning, you know, coming out with a site map and, and, determining what kind of user roles there might be in the app, uh, if there are multiple user roles. Uh, and then, yes, indeed, you know, go ahead and, and you know, stub everything out. Uh, and, and there are some side effects uh, fr from this. Uh, yeah, initially you uh, eat, up, uh, eat up, you know, a couple of weeks doing more kind of uh, preparatory uh, planning type work. Uh, but after that, you end up with a, a vessel uh, uh, or uh, so to speak, where then multiple people can, uh, you know, just start filling in the blanks uh, because how they're going to interact is already determined, so, which is usually the hard part. Uh, and then, and then, you know, then you just iterate over the various components to completion. Uh, and this also forces people to write decoupled components uh, because they just write every component uh, with uh, with the idea of every component is going to grab its own data, uh, so uh, so they're going to be self-sufficient. Uh, so as you know, requirements evolve over time. Uh, that's also another nice thing about the router is you can using auxiliary pads, uh, you can really remix your UI uh, as you go through your development adventure. Okay, so so. How long? So you're you're saying that in the start you have like the I don't know the MVP or the POC of of the the product that you want to build. So you go ahead and build all the components you can think of, um, and then it's the sort of so you get to version one and you release it, and then you know. Um, you do some more research and you need to change stuff and you need to optimize stuff. And so then you fall back probably into the same old, um, you know, grow it as, as the requirements come, uh, comes in or something like, like that uh, model, right? Which is not like, again, try to... I don't know, spawn off as many components as you can or something like that? Or are you saying that it should be like the 
the method, the methodology, so to say. Right. So, um, I mean, there's usually a, a product manager or a product owner involved, and they have a good sense of you know the scope of your first release. Uh, and you know, usually these efforts take uh, you know, uh, I'm just going to put a number out there. You know, six to twelve months. Uh, for you know sizable projects, uh, so you know taking that time in the beginning to to trigger some some of those conversations about you know okay what is the vision because they have the you know I'm sure you all have seen the 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 comics uh, strip with you know regarding requirements how uh, you know the the product manager or the customer has this idea of a you know a, a tire swinging you know off a tree branch. Uh, and then, as it goes through various phases of development, you know that uh, that takes you know bizarre shapes, uh, and and even a a product manager can uh, uh, may not be able to cor- correctly express you know what they have in mind, or they may not really know what they really want, and and they're just waiting to see something and react to it. Uh, so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to. Uh, go to the first wrong answer as quickly as possible. Uh, and, you know, I found if you, you know, start with the first task and really just, you know, focus on it, uh, that can put you in a position where a few months down the road, uh, you know, you kind of, you're in a deep execution mode and then you, you know, pull your head up and you look around and, you know, you realize, oh no, you know, we don't have enough time uh, to do everything now uh, or oh no you know we went down the wrong path here now we're gonna have to backtrack uh, so uh, so I am uh, suggesting this approach uh, so that uh, you ask the hard questions uh, ahead of time and it is not comfortable to have some of these questions so early in a project uh, but it, it's definitely uh, mutually beneficial to, to both the developer and the business uh, side of, of the development process. Do you have an example of where this has paid off for you? Yeah. About a few, a few months ago, I was engaged in uh, developing a, a prototype uh, for a company, and uh, they had this beautifully designed uh, proto- prototype created in a tool uh, but they weren't really sure how it was going to interact uh, in a, in a in the context of a real framework. Uh, so I picked uh, Angular uh, four and Angular Material as my uh, toolkit uh, going into it, and I kind of focused on making every component I create reusable uh, through the through the router, just passing in. Uh, all the all the information through route parameters and you know each component being responsible of you know, uh, fetching its own data etc uh, you know through services of course and um, and as I was going through this effort and it was a four week you know time box uh, effort um, the requirements indeed start changing on me you know they they wanted uh, you know certain components. Uh, you know, there were these master uh, detail views, and then you could, you know, click on a search button and search for a person, and then uh, view their detail. And then when you go back, uh, you still had to be able to click on, uh, you know, uh, so the master component, and then the detail you got changed from, uh, you know, team details to person details. Uh, so a lot of moving parts. And 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 by uh, uh, using the or or focusing on the router, uh, I was able to really create a lot of alternative routes, uh, and just using uh, auxiliary paths and, and and through router links, I was able to uh, really easily change how the uh, various uh, screens appeared to the user uh, by being able to. Uh, you know, display different components in in the master or the or the detail uh, part of the part of the screen uh, quite uh, easily. Cool. 
does this mean that you are creating a lot of nested child routes and stuff? So kind of describe, walk through a process of what you might do. Yeah, so in that case, uh, I, I was also, I also wanted to demonstrate uh, uh, lazy loaded routes to them. Uh, so I created a feature module, even though it was the only feature module. Uh, and, uh, and then within the feature module, uh, that owned its own uh, routing mechanism. And uh, and then every feature module kind of you know has to have its own home screen, kind of uh, mimicking uh, how an Angular app is set up at the root level. Uh, and then uh, and then the um, you know the home route usually has its own toolbar uh, with its own router outlet, uh, which means you know uh, then there needs to be a nesting uh, uh, happening there. And then under that, uh, a, a particular screen that you go to may have, uh, or you know, will have various child routes. So it is it is nested, but I would say uh, not more than uh, two or three levels down. If that makes sense. Okay. Do you make every component routable, or or do you stop at a certain point? Are you using auxiliary routes, that kind of thing? So uh, that is also a very good uh, point. So my preference is to make, you know, every component routable. Uh, but you know, there there is a caveat in there uh, where it makes sense. Uh, so I have this uh, sample project on GitHub uh, that is in support of my book. Uh, it's called uh, Lemon Mart. Uh, and uh, there, uh, for example, I have a particular component where you can view your your uh, user profile details. And in one context, it's displayed in a master detail view context. And in that case, it's routable. Um, and in another context where you're first creating your profile or you're updating your profile details, it's part of a form uh, with multiple steps. And then uh, I reuse that component at the last step to show you a a kind of a summary of all the information that you entered. Uh, in that uh, particular instance, uh, I actually bind the data that's in the form into the component. It's the same component, uh, uh, and it can either be bound to or routed to. And and I find that a, an interesting way to to reuse code. Let me give you a challenging one that may help me understand. Suppose it's a dashboard, right, and it's it could have an arbitrary number of, well, let's say, you know, two to 10 components appearing in it. Um, would one have a single route that would populate each of the, you know, decide which of those components were to appear on that dashboard in what order and where they were, all that governed by a route? Or would you say, no, maybe not? Uh, as, as any good engineer would... Uh uh, respond to that. It depends. It depends. Uh, if, it's, if, it's, <laughs> if, if it's a one-off dashboard, uh, you know, and and you know, it's going to remain fairly static. Those you know, eight to ten components. Then I, I would just say, go ahead and 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 just you know, take the easiest uh, you know path to, or you know, the path of least resistance uh, to accomplishing that task. Uh, but uh, which I guess, which would be, you know, just creating the components and you know binding their their data uh, to them, uh, uh, all that stuff. Uh, however, uh, you know, if there's a, a chance of you know this dashboard becoming, you know, first, you know, you may implement multiple dashboards for multiple levels of people. It might be a customizable dashboard. Uh, then, um, you know. Implementing various router outlets to it uh, for every you know eight to ten uh, component, you're basically defining. Uh, okay, I'm going to have something render here. So you're you're pre-dividing the page into you know eight or ten uh, you know parts, and then you're letting the router uh, take care of. Uh, okay, uh, now I'm going to render you know these eight particular components in there, and you might have a total of you know sixteen components to choose from. Uh, for example, and in my view, that that makes things more maintainable. 
because that forces you to think about each component as as a as it's as an independent component that is not uh, related to any other component. Uh, because when you go down the uh, the road of you know binding data, uh, you may be unintentionally introducing various uh, dependencies between components. Like you may be you know receiving an event from a component and then using that to trigger something else in another component. Uh, and uh, these uh, kinds of uh, coupling over time uh, makes your job more and more difficult in, in terms of maintaining that uh, that whole setup. So, so I put I put that challenge to you in part because yeah, I I get the idea of designing components so that they are decoupled. I just and routing would certainly force you to do that, um, but that is one heck of a a hammer to try and uh, solve that problem with because the route, I mean, I personally find the routing structures can get really opaque and very hard to understand pretty quickly. <clears throat> and so I, I, I love the idea of trying to, you know, doing what I can architecturally to keep those components um, decoupled, but the router could get, you know, using the router as my only driver for that makes me, well, maybe I'm just not good enough at the router. I don't know, um, but I uh, you can get it. You can get some nasty configuration and spend a lot of time trying to get that thing working to to achieve this result. And I, I'm I'm inclined to think that there are other approaches. Um, and I, I just I just push that back in case people were thinking you really mandated that all components be the destination of a route and I don't, and that's not what you're saying and i get that and so our listeners will understand they have some flexibility are you ready to master angular oasis digital offers angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams they cover angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex data-rich applications they also still offer angular js for teams supporting older projects bring them to your site or send developers to them in st louis san francisco new york dc and other cities and online at angularbootcamp.com absolutely and uh it also has to be said that uh you know i've been going to ngconf uh for uh three and it'll be four years in a row now and uh you know We've been waiting for the 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 promise of the the awesome router for uh, for almost uh, you know that long, and uh, I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised uh, this fall when I you know pushed the router to its limits. Uh, it was able to kind of live up to my expectations uh, of it. Now, uh, are there some uh, issues with it? Yes, there are, uh, but I think they are more. There are some documentation challenges uh, surrounding some of the finer features of the router. Uh, so, uh, but um, and this is an educated guess uh, from me is that over time it will it will only get better. Let me give you a, a different take. So I, I think I'm trying to follow. I've been mostly listening to kind of understand kind of where where you're directing people. What I'm actually hearing, and we all hear things differently, is you really focus on trying to get that UI and that experience, at least the layout of it, set in place first. The router is just a vehicle that you're using to get there, but you're trying to get that vehicle to help you put the UI in place with no data, with no HTTP, with no you know, business rules and security, et cetera. Just let's make sure the flow of this thing is looking like the way you want it so we don't have a swing flying through a tree trunk, right? Correct, yeah. And I think what I'm hearing pushback with Ward on, and I, and I kind of agree there too, is that if if someone were to take, and I know you're not saying this, but if someone were to take you too literally and say, hey, create, uh, create a router for every single component, that would be kind of crazy. Because in the end, the app, if you had like 100 views, or and some of the apps that have over 1,000 components, mm -hmm. if you did that, that would end up with like some nest of router structure. It might be like 20 levels deep and the code to actually put the router together is what kind of gives me a little pause. Setting up first level routing, I often personally start the project by setting up a little bit of what you do, which is setting up that first level routing to get my main navigation in place. So I can start plugging things in where I need to, and maybe I don't put every single route menu item in, but I try to get the core stuff there and 
at least an example of every kind of unique situation, right? Like if these two are heroes, heroes and villains, I probably wouldn't do both. I'd just do one of them just to show there's an example. Uh, but if I had a different kind of scenario, I'd add those in. Uh, but generally, I'll stop at that level of routing in the beginning of a project only because my personal experience has been once users in the business, uh, the business stakeholders get a hold of that UI, even the things that they thought they thought they wanted start to change quite a bit. And I would hate to have too much routing in place, like uh, lower than that level, because simply because the code to change routing is is pretty involved. Um, is that you're nodding your head? People can't see you. I know we're on a podcast, but I'd love to hear your response to that. Yeah, and um, so I do uh, agree with that. And you know, if we're talking about a large enough project, uh, you know, perhaps. Uh, you know, iterating over that uh, initial design process and and putting so the goal here is always to put something tangible in front of the uh, the customer, the client, or the or the business uh, person as soon as possible. Um, and you know, if it's you know, and this doesn't always have to be a week or two weeks, you know, a set period of time. If you know, if it's just an afternoon and and you're done, you know, with your you know uh, an initial idea of how how things are going to look like. You know, just send it to the customer for feedback and 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 try and get that uh, initial feedback as early as possible. Uh, you know, uh, I guess with every suggestions, you know, uh, if you take it to the extreme, uh, it's uh, likely not going to work out well. Uh, but that, that's a great phrase. I agree. <laughs> uh, and and in my in my concrete examples. Um, I, I set everything as, uh, especially if it's an authenticated app, I set every, every uh, almost everything as a, a, a lazy loaded feature module. So that initial user experience, that first paint of the application is as quick as possible. Uh, and then when you log in, you know, you grab uh, all the components necessary to to display, you know, user profile related stuff or, or navigational uh, uh, related stuff. Um, right, getting the, getting that time to first bite that person down as small as you can for whatever that first thing they're supposed to see is in the app, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I, and I've out of that restaurant, John. Time to first bite. <laughs> <laughs> we have a great idea now. Let's go. Let's go start one up. <laughs> yeah, I will say though that having been a consultant. Um, you are correct in that a lot of times they won't know what they want until they see it, and so yeah, I mean if you can pull a lot of this together and just kind of give them an idea. This is what you're looking at getting before you do a lot of building. You're probably going to get a lot of things clarified before you put hours and hours and hours into putting together whatever it is that they thought they wanted. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and it's also this uh, idea of, uh, for example, in, you know, uh, Scrum, they recommend, you know, certain number of hours to do your planning or, you know, et cetera. Uh, but you know the amount of time you're going to spend planning is going to be proportional to to the amount of time uh, you have available, right? If you're you know if you're a 20 person team with two week sprints, you know you're likely going to go through hours and hours of planning. Uh, uh, so you know same with what I'm suggesting here. You know, so if it's a small enough project, you know, don't spend more than a few hours, you know, setting up your initial you know uh, routes and and your initial uh, walking skeleton of your application, you know, but if you're going into something that's a year long with, uh, you know, 20 developers and, you know, uh, you know, as many stakeholders holders involved, uh, then, you know, jumping into the first uh, story and, you know, everyone just swarming around and trying to perfect, perfect this first screen, uh, uh, kind of, uh, sets everyone, uh, it, on a path where you know six months down the road they'll they'll emerge and they're like okay we've been spending way too much time uh, on these screens that don't really matter uh, we haven't gotten to the good stuff yet uh, because nobody you know teased that out uh, early enough so uh, I think yeah. it's fair uh, it's fair to take some time uh, in the beginning you know uh, and and iterate over that that vision in a in a more concrete manner. 
I often spend, uh, I, I like where you're going with this. I, I often spend what I call sprint zero uh, when I work in competitive places as well. Whether it's a two-week, three-week sprint, whatever. Sprint zero for me, a lot of that is kind of making sure before you start that race to the end of the project, whether it's a two-person project or a 200-person project. Uh, we've all been on both of those kinds, I think, in this room. But spend that sprint figuring out, is the plumbing right? Is the architecture right? Lord and I tend to use the word the shell of the app a lot. You know, is, is the shell of that app really conducive to the rest of it? Because if you don't get the shell right, it's really hard to get the pieces to fit properly in there. And even like the responsive nature of CSS. And, so I, I like where you're going with that and, and definitely agree getting stuff into the user's hands. I wanted to answer your question with something that you hinted at, though. Uh, slight tangent. You mentioned using lazy loading everywhere. Uh, so they can get the experience fast up front. I'm curious, how do you take advantage of the preloading fetching strategies? Like, how do you make the decisions on those? So uh, I guess let me ask for a clar clarification on preloading and fetching. Okay. So when you said lazy loading, they ha Angular has these, uh, I forget the exact syntax. It's like on... On preload, was it preload always strategy or preload never strategy? Is the two default ones where you can tell lazy loading stuff, to, uh, the bundles to come across and load in the background, or to never do it mm -hmm. until it's on demand, or you can set up a custom one based on business rules. Uh, this is a, a discussion I had at NG Vikings uh, last week with a couple of attendees. I'm just kind of curious since you use lazy loading for all your stuff, how you approach uh, that strategy. Uh, so, in terms of operation, uh, let me let me redo that. Uh, in terms of operations, uh, I haven't really gotten to that point uh, of deploying a, a, a large scale enough application uh, for for that decision to matter. So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I guess share my opinion in terms of how, how I think uh, it should work. And because in most applications that I tend to work, uh, there is the first thing you see is, is a login box. And beyond that, you just don't, uh, you know, if you're not authenticated, then you're not going to get uh, anything else. Um, so in that sense, you know, not lazy loading uh, at all, uh, makes a lot of sense because that way we save a lot of our infrastructure and, you know, not delivering that piece of code that's never going to be actually used uh, on the client side. Um, can I push back on that? Absolutely. Bit? Yes. I mean, the, the thought here is that, that actually you can get to that initial screen that you can fight through, but you have a pretty good idea. You take an optimistic view. Most people who get there are going to sign in effectively. And most of them are going to probably need, uh, you can make a pretty good prediction that they're most of the time they're going to need some module um, that um, you don't need during login, but you were almost certain to need uh, no matter where they go after that. And so it makes some sense to begin that process while the user d is distracted signing in and lazy load this thing in background. E it's kind of halfway between eager and lazy. Um, and then it gets there. So, so that's the way in which it can be effect, you know, an effective use of the user's time, just make the app more responsive. Because you know, like 99% certain, that if they don't sign in, it's not going to matter anyway, and it's, they never saw it. But if they do get in, they're going to need that module. And I think that's kind of what John is going at. But returning to your original point, which is that it, even such a, a module that is as sort of loaded as soon as possible, but not at the start, um, it still has the structure of a lazy module. It has the isolation of a lazy module. It has that decoupling that I think was one of the drivers behind your decision to try and make features lazy loaded. Does that feel right, right to you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that... The, you know, discussion of, you know, uh, preloading or, or, your, or fetching on demand, you know, there are a lot of variables embedded in that. Uh, so one of the guidance that I give to, to people all the time is, you know, don't, don't focus on the performance. 
uh, of of what you're doing. Uh, you know, when you're un- unless you're running on your production hardware, you know, don't try to pre-optimize what you're doing. Uh, so, uh, because you know, preloading might be fine, and it might bring uh, you know tangible benefits to the user uh, or, or on-demand. Uh, or you may not be able to tell the difference depending on your infrastructure or your or your situation. Uh, so uh, I do try to come up with uh, you know generalized recommendation of you know the the eighty twenty use case. You know eighty percent of the time. You know if you're writing a web application that has a potential of uh, you know a user with a mobile phone uh, kind of accessing that site, you know they want to get the the least amount of possible. And they're not going to want, you know, their, you know, phones downloading, uh, you know, something in the background. Um, so this is not necessarily yeah, that's a that's uh, a business de- that's a business decision. Exactly. Cer- yeah. Yeah. I certainly uh, see the architectural point though, because the minute you wrap a feature and you make it lazy loaded from the start, you guarantee a certain kind of uh, decoupling from all the other features that forces you to think about boundaries and that, that could become important later. And so it's, it's probably a pretty good discipline. I don't, I, you know, I mean, I'm lazy, but, and I don't yeah, mean that and, in a sense. But. <laughs> uh, and well, actually uh, my, my uh, boss has a pr- pretty good saying, you know, I'm, I'm not lazy. I'm just highly efficient. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm so, lazy. I'm not efficient at all. <laughs> I'm eager so, and lazy. So by by making you know disciplined architectural decisions, we defer decision making you know to the last moment possible. So whether the fact that that you know whether we preload or or fetch on demand, uh, that's something that becomes a point of configuration that can be changed or even A B tested uh, over time to determine the effectiveness of the strategy. And you know if the business need is there, really you know we should be talking about Angular Universal uh, to even deliver a more uh, aggressive, you know, first paint. Uh, but we started the conversation with, um, like the overflow of libraries and how you can minimize that and, um, all that stuff. And like a couple of months into development, how, so how does that relate to the first approach, if it relates? And if not, how do you solve, still solve that problem when you have moving parts and move like five developers on the team and everyone is like on their own pace and do, doing their own thing? And, you know, you'll get into some collisions or some extra unnecessary code. How do you deal with that? So uh, there is some uh, relation there because so by you know going this route of um, old upon intended uh, uh, you know going router first with lazy loading you know we are able to parallelize the efforts uh, but ultimately all the dependencies are living in the same uh, package.json file uh, so in a, in a sense uh, it is it becomes an easier task uh, to uh, be the dependency cop, uh, you know. So it's not going to magically remain uh, a a disciplined project uh, by just you know uh, you know setting it up and and letting it go. Uh, over time, there will be entropy. Uh, people will introduce libraries left and right, uh, and it's up to the uh, you know it's up to your peers, uh, you know, or your you know architect or your development lead. To then ask the t- tough questions of do we really need this library or or why do we need it? Uh, or you know if it's really needed you know is it only needed in this particular module so we only you know send that down to the client uh, if we if the user loads that uh, particular uh, feature. By the way, on 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 the same topic of of lazy loading, just a side question, really really tiny question, like how do you deal with entry components? with lazy modules if you uh, encountered that problem uh could you clarify what you mean by entry modules entry components 
for entry components. So you have like mod modules and pop-up screens and all that stuff that sits with like a lazy loaded module or something like that. And there is a problem, there is a limitation, the same limitation with services because uh, lazy loaded modules creates... Yeah, I think you probably for a lot of listeners, they may not even have ever encountered the uh, entry components section of a module. It might be good to, you know, even explain that that it's it's actually a section in the in your module. There's an entry component section, and normally Angular set up for you. I don't know, maybe you got a better. I don't know. I don't know if it's related to this, and we probably maybe should discuss it on a different uh, episode. I just like if 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 you had like a short answer, that fine. If not. That's okay. We can discuss it in a different episode. Uh, one thing I will say is from a UX perspective, I hate <laughs> pop-ups and, and dialogues. But as much as- how do you advertise your um, pills otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it's effective. In terms of certain uh, shared uh, user components, uh, like you know your, your toast, and uh, toast notifications or or like confirmation dialogues or or you know okay cancel yes no uh, type of type of dialogue boxes uh, i actually uh, in combination with angular material i actually uh, like creating a a ui service uh, that just sits at the uh, very core of the application uh, so that it becomes very easy to you know pop a notification or ask for a confirmation in the control flow of your uh, of the logic that you're implementing uh, without having to you know write and rewrite that boilerplate code uh, all over the place i know i know it's not answering your question at all but no, that's okay. uh, that's that okay. is my approach I realized to, it's, to uh, yeah it's another scope and that's okay but thanks thanks for uh, sharing no problem I think it's a good point to wrap up on huh? that we can uh, yeah. I like to wrap up with the if you were going to ask uh, tell somebody like where how they should get started with this and how they should get guided into learning more about it um, obviously your book is a great resource for that but uh, where is that you know what's the first thing you ask them to look at you can get into a router first approach by Examining my example project, Lemon Mart, on my GitHub account. That's github.com slash D-U-L-U-C-A. Uh, and by examining that uh, project, uh, you will be able to see the various strategies of uh, structuring your application. And the readme of the pro- project is robust enough that it also details uh, various steps of, of this approach. There, there are seven steps uh, that I describe: defining user roles and a sitemap early on, uh, designing with lazy loading in mind, uh, implementing a walking uh, skeleton navigation experience, uh, designing around major data components, uh, and being disciplined uh, to sticking to a decoupled component architecture, and uh, leveraging TypeScript classes, interfaces, enums, validators, and, and pipes as much as possible to, to maximize uh, code reuse. Uh, in fact, that's, that's a, a commonly uh, missed uh, part of Angular, in, in my opinion, uh, where you know, we're not just working with Angular here, we're also working with uh, TypeScript. And there's a, a where appropriate, you know, bringing in those object-oriented programming concepts uh, can really help encapsulate business logic uh, and and bring in a flavor of that domain driven design into into our uh, front end development and actually make things easier uh, for us. All right, well let's let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business, or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, 
and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. John, do you want to start us off with picks? So I only have one pick today, and that is... uh... Twitch. I've been learning how to use Twitch as a development platform uh, to share ideas with people lately. Uh, and actually tomorrow, which will be in the past by the time this episode airs, Ward Bell and I are going to be pair programming on Twitch. We do this every Thursday now at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's really cool. So you go to twitch.tv and you can subscribe to my channel if you want. You watch me. Basically, it's an awesome way where you can live code with people and they can interact with you and chat with you and uh, kind of help you build things along the way. And then we open source this stuff at the end of the episode. Uh, I think it's a fantastic way to engage with people that you just can't do through like webinars and plural site videos and egghead um, where all that's like one directional. So really excited about how Twitch is heading. Nice. Yeah. Um, and do you use the VS Code live share feature, the new one? Did you try it? Uh, once I, I have tried it, uh, yes. Once it's fully released, I think we'll do more of that. But right now, there's a, there's a limited, I don't know if it's called a beta alpha or whatever. It's a limited release right now. But uh, right now, we're just having Ward basically I yell at Zoom in or Skype in. He yells at me. <laughs> yeah, what I he tells me what to type. Up, 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 left, left, no, down, right, oh, there, put it there. Uh, I was looking for I was looking for the nice way to say that word. <laughs> yeah. But yes, we'll use live share once it's there. Sounds with those like my wife, but edit that out, Chuck. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, cool. Which is cool. I'm gonna try it as well. Yeah, those limited releases. If only you knew somebody who worked at Microsoft, John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Joe. What are your picks? All right, so um, I have played a bunch of board games this last weekend because I went to a board game convention and had a super, super, super awesome time. So I probably got about 45 possible board game picks I could make, but I'm just going to pick one. One of the new ones that I played that I thought was really fun, which is Wasteland Express Delivery Service, which sounds super awesome, doesn't it? Sounds amazing. Uh, It's a board game about, yeah, you're basically the male in a post-apocalyptic world. And you have to go around and fight monsters and mutants and deliver the mail come rain or shine. <laughs> Isn't that so a Kevin Costner like, movie? <laughs> I think it is. It's pretty much like really just being a mail deliverer. You know, that's how it was uh, for my mom when she was a mail carrier. She fought all kinds of mutants. And stuff. No, anyway, it's a great, great game. Really fun. And that's to be my pick is Wasteland Express Delivery Service. Awesome. I have a few picks. Go, go for it. Go, go, go. Okay. So first of all, uh, one pick is um, rxviz.com, V-I-Z, uh, which is an animated playground for RX just uh, observables, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, cool tool to, to play around with that. Uh, I think either Pete Bacon Darwin or Mike Brocky recommended the to me while we were working on our talk for ngconf which is going to be about switch map and it's going to be really bizarre uh but uh, educational uh (laughs) so that's one thing uh and the other one if i mention ngconf um they're doing um a cool thing this year where they are taking the some of the speakers to dinner but with attendees, so like private dinners, uh, up to five, six people, uh, for people who wanted to go out with a certain speaker, sort of like dating, but uh, I don't know, group dating. Uh, and it's kind of cool because I think more conferences should do stuff like that because uh, I know that most of my friends who are speakers not love the most like the interaction with the attendees and 
like, you know, uh, meeting new friends and talking about like stuff. And this is the best thing about conferences. Um, and you can probably watch the lectures afterwards <laughs> on YouTube. So doing more cool things like, like this. So, um, they actually have a link for each like speaker. And if you buy a ticket using that link, you will get signed up to that dinner. So, um, I have a link. I think John, you have a link, um, or I think you have a link as well. So might publish our links. Okay. And you can, uh, choose who, who you want to go to dinner with. Uh, so those are my picks. So props to NGCon for doing that. I think it's a really cool idea. I love it. You hear that, Joe? I do. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Sure. All right. Uh, Ward, what are your picks? Okay. So I'm picking a book that I, I picked up on my flight home from Finland, NG Vikings, which was fantastic. Um, and it's called Homo Deus by this guy, Harari. And people have been talking about him a while. And he's a, He's a historian philosopher type who looks at um, trends in in the species behavior and the world events and tries to project out what tendentially where where the speech where the species is headed and um, what kinds of things that we as a species will be working on over the next two centuries uh, and this is not the kind of book I would. <laughs> <laughs> spent time with. I'm not that much of a futurist, but it was recommended by Daniel Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winner in economics. And I thought, well, I got to take a look at that. And it is pretty darn engaging. And it has uh, some surprises in it about where our concerns will be or likely to be, uh, including the quest for immortality and pleasure and things like that. So you might find that kind of thing interesting. We're finally going to learn to use the force. All right. Um, I've got a couple of picks. So uh, I did announce at the beginning of the show, uh, JavaScript remote, or I keep saying remote conference, but I've changed the terminology. JavaScript Dev Summit, uh, free to attend live. If you uh, buy a ticket, you know, that goes to support the shows. And it also, uh, a, a chunk of that goes to the speakers as well. Um, and I'm working on adding in some freebies. By then, I'll probably have my course on, um, automating code processes done. So things like CI, um, I'm, I'm going well beyond that though. So um, uh, it'll probably include a discount code of some kind in there and things like that. Um, so definitely get that checked out. Um, also, I am re-recording the videos for my getting a job course. So if you're looking for a way to get a job, you can go to getacoderjob.com um, and you'll get my uh, finding your dream programming job uh, course you you can go and buy that there um, and I walk you through everything uh, setting up your resume meeting people who work for the companies you want to work for figuring out if the company's a good fit for you um, you know how to do interviews how to negotiate salaries I mean the whole nine yards so um, if you're interested in that go check that out as well and uh, I, I think that's about all I got uh, Dohan what, what do you want to pick all right I have a, a couple of picks uh, the first one is thejavascriptpromise.com. Uh, that's my website where I've uh, kind of uh, hand out as a, as a jumping point uh, for all of my uh, various content. So I'll soon be updating that with uh, everything uh, we talked about on the show here. And uh, I'll also be given a, a series of talks uh, at some Agile conferences uh, this year uh, titled Ship It or It Never Happened. Uh, so there will be some good information on uh, containerizing your uh, application and being able to deploy that uh, to Heroku, ZeitNow, AWS, uh, or various other targets. And then uh, the, the second one is uh, a personal favorite, runkit.com. Uh, that is a node execution environment uh, where you can require NPM packages uh, on the fly and uh, kind of uh, do coding katas and, and hone a particular function or a, uh, or a, a particular uh, you know piece of code that you want to uh, put into your application, but just you know test it out, uh, find out what works, what doesn't work, uh, and uh, because it's online, you can easily share uh, what you've been working on with with friends, and you can even 
uh, turn it into an API uh, if you if you want to. So it's a really cool tool that saved me a lot of time, uh, and it it also uh, enabled enabled me to finally uh, get rid of Lodash as a dependency. I can I can uh, survive on just uh, ES6 uh, functions and and RxJS. Cool. And you said the JavaScript promise is your blog, or a jumping yeah. off point for everything else anyway. It's, yeah, it's a jumping off point for everything else. All right. If people do want to connect with you, then uh, is that the best place to go? Are you on Twitter or anywhere else that you want to shout out about? Uh, yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Deluca, D-U-L-U-C-A. Uh, but uh, my uh, website has uh, links to my GitHub, uh, NPM, Docker Hub, and my LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming and uh, getting our minds going about a lot of this stuff. Um, thank you for the invite. Yeah, we'll wrap this one up and we will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.